Welcome to episode number 24 of the John Riley Project. We've got some great topics that we're going to dig in on today. We're going to talk about the Stone Ridge development and the public meeting that happened last week, reactions from people in the community. We're going to talk about Poway School Board and the, the drama there with, you know, since the election, there's been some new things going on over at Poway Unified. We're going to talk about free speech and Patreon. We're going to have some fun and talk about what we're watching, what's streaming. I'll give you some updates on what's going on with the with this project that I'm working on, this podcast project. I'll give you some updates on that as well. So before we dig in, I just want to say this. This is important. Thank you. Thank you so much for viewing uh, this podcast on YouTube. Thank you very much for listening to the podcast on iTunes, on Spotify, on Stitcher, on whatever you know, podcast platform you're using. I really appreciate it. So, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to create sort of a community here. I really encourage your feedback, your comments. Um, you know, if you're following us on social media, you know, please reach out and subscribe and like and follow. And heck, if you're watching on YouTube right now, right below the screen, there's a, there's a red subscribe button. So click on that and be part of the community. Share your thoughts because I'm always interested in your feedback you can go to my website, johnreillyproject.com. All the social media links are there. You can send me a note. Heck, if you want to donate, financially support this project, you can do that. If, you, if you're a business, you want to be a sponsor, there's a way you can do that on the website too. So let me know how we're doing. You know, I, I'm working to kind of create a, uh, a focus here in the San Diego, North County inland market. I mean, this is kind of my, my own backyard. I live here in Poway. So I, I really want to focus on topics, on news items, on personalities here in the Poway, Rancho Bernardo, Carmel Mountain Ranch, Sabre Springs area, you know, Rancho Penasquitos, Forest Ranch, Del Sur, Westwood. So this whole, you know, North County inland area is is my focus. I'm going to always be talking about things that are happening in this area. Uh, but I'm, I'm also going to have guests that are from this area, guest personalities. We, we're going to be doing more of our sit-down interview podcasts. But this is my focus, this general area. So if you live in this area, you know, I hope you're a follower, a subscriber. hope you're listening and viewing, or you, maybe you can share this with your friends and neighbors. So I'm just putting that out there. Thanks again for all the support, and um, let's, let's get started here. So today, we're going to talk about the uh, Stone Ridge uh, project that, you know, this has always been this ongoing piece of controversy here in Poway for the last couple of years. And last week, there was a public meeting that was held at Painted Rock Elementary here in Poway, right there on Martin Coit. And, um, you know, the event was heavily publicized. The Green Valley Civic Association put out messages. I saw a lot on social media. And um, I, you know, showed up for the event. I was gonna, I was gonna actually live stream this event. And I got into the room. I got there early, and you know, I got there early. And uh, in the room, the I was expecting to see rows of chairs, kind of like we had at the uh, debate forum last couple, of, you know, a couple of months ago. But instead, they had set up these um, displays that were on easels. You know, these 
large boards with with drawings and renderings of the new community, and they were spread around in a circle in in the in the multi-purpose room at Painted Rock Elementary, um, and. On each of these easels, there were renderings that were showing the drawings of, of the homes, of the lots, of the streets, of the, the um, landscaping that's going to be there, some of the public amenities, and, and uh, it was pretty interesting. And while I was in the room, I got a chance to, uh, to say hello to Kevin McNamara. I don't know if you know who he is, but Kevin is the... Um, I guess he's the project leader. This is really his baby. Um, This new iteration of the Stone Ridge uh, development is really all about Kevin and his vision. And, you know, I got to know Kevin, um, you know, probably about 12 years ago or so. We both served on the Poway Budget Review Committee. And, you know, uh, Kevin's a pretty, uh, you know, uh, well-known guy here in Poway, longtime resident, commercial real estate guy. He owns the property Kitty Corner from the hamburger factory there on Midland Road. What is it? The old Poway Village. He um, also used to own, or maybe he even still does own, some of that property in the Walmart shopping center where the DMV is and where Players is. Um, So, you know, a lot of people have gotten to know Kevin here in the community. He's pretty active. He's pretty visible on civic affairs um, he also used to be on the um, uh, the planning commission when he lived out in Rancho Penasquitos, and according to Steve Dreyer, the editor at the at the Poway Chieftain, uh, Kevin was largely uh, responsible or a key guy in helping finish the 56 freeway that connected the five and the 15. So, Kevin McNamara, pretty you know business guy, real estate guy knows what buttons to push with uh, government to get things done. So, uh, you know, on the surface, looks like a pretty interesting person that can maybe get this thing done. Uh, So I had a chat with Kevin, and uh, Kevin always jokes with me. He calls me the new, the the Merv Griffin of Poway. (laughs) Um, But Kevin was uh, saying to me, um, yeah, that he wasn't planning on doing a presentation because, you know, I was hoping to live stream it. And he said, no, I'm just going to do like a one or a two minute overview. And then I've got all my consultants here. They're all category experts. They're going to be able to, you know, answer the questions for all of the people that show up. And I figured, okay. So I go in the, in the corner of the room and I, at this time, there was like only a few people in the room. I was there 15 minutes early. So I started setting up my camera, and then uh, John Carson comes by and visits. Um, I don't know if you remember John. He was a guest here on the John Riley Project. He's a former candidate for Poway City Council. Really nice guy. And so we're chit-chatting, and and the room's starting to fill up. And John makes an offhanded remark. He said, geez, I, I might be the youngest guy in the room. And and yeah, John, he's probably, I don't know, how old are you, John? About 40 or so. And, uh, uh, you know, the whole room's filling in with, you know, gray hair, silver hair people like myself, some even quite a bit older. And it's great because these are all, uh, you know, longtime Poway residents. You know, I bet you a lot of them live in the Stone Ridge community, people taking an active role, participating in their city. And, you know, people have a vested interest in this. There's been a lot of news about it. People are curious, and the room was filling up, and it was great. And so people are mingling around, and uh, and then Kevin, you know, walks up onto the stage and grabs the microphone, and he's pretty much was ready to just to say hello and thanks for coming, and if you have any questions, check our, with our consultants. Well, it turned into a, um, a, 
you know, people started firing questions at him from the audience. And it turned into like a 30, 35 minute Q&A session. And it was fascinating. Um, there were great, great questions that were asked. And, and I caught it all on video. So if you want to check it out, go to my YouTube page for the John Riley Project. And there you'll see the whole thing, questions and answers. And, and it was fascinating. And I'll share some summary here for you based on kind of what I picked up. And so, um, uh, first of all, like I said, the questions were great. They were challenging questions. People were trying to, you know, poke some holes in the plan. You know, some people maybe because they oppose the plan. In other cases, maybe they're just challenging it, trying to see if there's any weaknesses, see how well it's thought out. But there were great questions like, how many houses are you going to have? How much are they going to sell for? Um, how many... Uh, um, you know, how many people do you expect to be in these homes? How many children are going to be in these homes? Children, what about the schools? Do the schools have the capacity? What about water? What about traffic? You know, so just a lot of great questions. What's the time frame on this? What's, um, uh, you know, if, if this gets approved by voters, is it going to change or what's going to happen? So uh, lots of great questions. So my understanding, I'm trying to recollect, this event happened a week ago, but it sounds like there's going to be about 160 homes. The homes are going to be, uh, I'm trying to remember the square footage, but it was like between 2,500 and 3,000 square feet. So they're decent sized homes. I mean, they're good sized homes. They're not mega mansions like we see in other parts of Poway, but at the same time, they're not like small homes that maybe are some of the older homes built in Poway. So they're, um, you know, they're, but they're still family-sized homes. Um, and people were asking, well, how much are these going to sell for? And, you know, he, he said he wasn't sure, but, he, you know, the number a million dollars was getting thrown around. And for some people, they were surprised. I think some people were thinking that we would have homes, not affordable housing, but homes that are affordable. So I think people were hoping the homes were going to sell for six or 700 grand and be, you know, more akin to... I mean, this is, sounds ridiculous because these numbers are so high, but starter homes or maybe second level homes. Um, but, uh, you know, he was saying that, you know, he expects and they're probably going to go around for about a million dollars. And, and I'm thinking to myself, well, you know, I'm paying attention to the news and people are talking about a real estate bubble and maybe we're going to go into a slowdown in the economy. So who knows what's going to happen with the real estate prices but I think a million bucks sounds about right. I mean, based on what we know here in North Poway, and they would be brand new homes. And then people were asking, what about water? And McNamara said that there were some, um, uh, you know, some water, there were wells that were there from the golf course. I think there were two or three of them. He met with the city. They can supply water. That shouldn't be a problem. People are wondering about traffic. And he was explaining that there was going to be this 21st century technology of, um, uh, you know, for the cameras that are going to be, not cameras, the uh, the stoplights that are going to be on um, on Espola Road. And he says they're already doing a study of uh, of the traffic patterns now, and that's why I was thinking of cameras. Because I, I live off of Stone Canyon Road, and a couple of weeks ago I noticed that there was a camera on at one of the stop signs on Stone Canyon. It was like this long skinny pole, and there was a camera up on top, and it, and I know that this particular stop sign, the cops are usually carefully watching to make sure there's no one, uh, you know, doing the California roll, you know, at the red at the red stop sign, making sure people stop. And I assumed at first when I saw this, it was something to do with that. But then I thought it through, and I figured, I bet you that's McNamara and his his team um, doing a study of the traffic flow. 
and just as a as a tangent, traffic on Stone on on Stone Canyon has always been a hot topic. You know, because there's been people that have were speeding, and, and that's a whole other issue. But at any rate, uh, McNamara was asked about traffic at the new. Uh, at the new Stone Ridge uh, development and part of his plan. And he I said, yeah, we're going to have new technology that'll go into the stoplights on a Spola to make the traffic flow much better. Um, people are asking, are you going to widen a Spola road? And I don't think, Kevin, I don't think answered. Did he answer that? I'm not sure. I, I, I think he said no, because um, that was beyond the scope of his project. Um, people were asking him, well, what about the schools? Is there enough capacity in the schools? And and he said, yeah. He goes, I met with the principal at Painted Rock. I met with the principal at Chaparral Elementary, and uh, they all assured me that you know there's capacity. In fact, that the the enrollment numbers have been down. And then you know some people in the audience they object and they said, well, wait a minute. I heard the enrollment numbers were up, and so I actually went and did some digging and looked at the enrollment numbers, and they definitely declined coming out of the Great Recession. So like, you know, 2011, 2012, the numbers were definitely down. Uh, Since then, you know, they've been sort of creeping up, you know, like a little bit up, a little bit down. Um, But, uh, you know, according to the article that was in the Poway Chieftain, PomeradoNews.com, there definitely is capacity. And I think the the school district had been forecasting growth. I don't know if they had done that with the Stone Ridge development in mind or not, but but at any rate, the schools are not at max capacity. I think that's the main point. So they can accept students. And then other people said, well, why aren't you doing the 55 and over communities like in the previous proposal, or the 55 and over condos? Why aren't you doing it that way? Why are you instead doing regular single family homes? And and McNamara said, well, he goes, where I live, and I'm quoting him or paraphrasing what he said, and he lives, I guess, sort of back behind Valverde Park. Um, and he says, back where I live, you know, we used to have a lot of kids on our street, and not anymore. And he goes, I want to see more children and kind of, you know, I know that, that our city is getting older and want to see a, a lot more kids in Poway. And that's, it sounds great, you know, but I mean, let's be real. This is a, this is a business proposition. Um, single family homes are probably going to sell for a lot more than a condominium, it's certainly a condominium for that's limited to only fifty-five and over voter, uh, fifty-five and over buyers. So um, yeah, so you know they're, they're going to be single-family homes. They're going to be kids. People are asking them how many kids are there going to be, you know, and obviously he can't answer that. But you figure one hundred and sixty homes. You know, some are going to have kids, some won't. Can the schools handle it? You know, is it eighty extra students per school? Is it something around there? Probably. And I think it sounds reasonable that the schools will be able to accommodate them. But um, anyways, the questions were great. And, you know, we're still so early on this. Um, I'm sure this is going to develop a lot further. There's going to be new information. The way that McNamara explained it is that, um, you know, the the owner of the property, you may already know, is this guy, Michael Schlesinger. And, uh, you know, he's got a history. You know, there's been some bad blood with Schlesinger. And, you know, he owns the the, the country club up in Escondido, and he's tried to do a similar deal to try to get it rezoned so he could build housing. He had ran into trouble there, uh, couldn't get the uh, the zoning redone, and he's been in a battle with the local residents that got kind of ugly. People here in Poway were really concerned about that, and I think that's a lar- that's a, one of the main reasons that the proposition lost in in 2017 when it came before the vote 
because uh, people were distrustful of the owner. Well, this guy, Michael Schlesinger, he's still the owner of the property. According to McNamara, he, he, doesn't, he said he's never met him. I find that hard to believe, but I'll take him at his word. He said he's never met Schlesinger and that his team and Schlesinger's team has worked out a deal and it's a, a one-year option to buy. Um, so it sounds like this is going to have to go before um, the, you know, the city has got to approve the plan. And I think my understanding is he's got to, McNamara's got to deliver to the plan to the city by the end of the month, you know, before the end of the year. And then the city's going to run it through its paces, you know, environmental impact and all the things that they do. And then it's going to come before the, the, for a vote in November of 2020. So if the voters say yes, then McNamara can exercise his option to buy. He'll take ownership of the property. Schlesinger is the seller. And then Schlesinger fades off into the sunset. McNamara is the owner. And then he implements the development. And then that development will, I don't know, they said homes will start appearing like by 2022 or so. Uh, 2023 is when you'll begin to see it, assuming it all gets approved. And of course, if the voters say no, then it just reverts back to the status quo. It reverts back to Schlesinger as the owner, a, a, you know, essentially a, a piece of property that's left fallow, fenced off, an inactive golf course, and we're back to square one. So an uh, interesting process. So here, where are we? It's December of 2018. Uh, what's today? Today's December 20th of 2018. So... Um, you know, this thing's going to come before the ballot, not for a couple of years. So there's a lot that still is going to happen. We're going to learn more. And one of the things that I'm going to do and my commitment to you as viewers and, and listeners in the audience, I'm going to follow this project because I live here in North Poway and I'm just generally interested in anything going on in Poway like this. You know, we've already spoken about the Poway Road specific plan. So um, I'll continue to follow this. But there's been a lot of interesting reaction and commentary. And, you know, I've already shared with you um, the Q&A session that happened there. And I, you know, it's it's on my YouTube page. If you go to my John Riley project, the whole 30 minutes of Q&A is there on my YouTube page for you to check out. But, you know, there's been a lot of commentary that's going on on social media. And one great site, I don't know if you're a participant in this, but if you go on Facebook, there's a group called South Poway Votes. And it's a great, great Facebook group because there's a lot of conversation and interaction about topics that are going on in the city of Poway. And yeah, sometimes they take a bit of a South Poway approach, but really it's a conversation for all of Poway. North, South, East, West, Central Poway, a lot of great conversation. So uh, tip of the hat to Chris Cruz. She set that Facebook group up and I think it's a great uh, place to have discussion. And I enjoy going on there and, and having some conversations with people. Um, it's fun. I, I enjoy the dialogue. I enjoy the exchange. And, and I, you know, I've been on record, not only on in the South Poway Votes group, but even here in my podcast that I'm a supporter of the Poway Road specific plan. And, you know, that's almost like a similar thing going on along Poway Road, where they're talking about development, more residential property, in this case, over a thousand apartments and condos in mixed use uh, buildings along Poway Road, you know, commercial, residential, side by side, um, intermingled amongst each other. And uh, I'm generally supportive of that for a lot of reasons. Um, and uh, one of them's property rights. One of them is, is I'm, I'm an opposition to NIMBYism. I'm concerned about the housing market. There's a lot of different things, but let's break each of those down. 
because this is where there's been some interesting discussion, and I think it's fun to share this and to talk it out because I think it's, it gives us all a little bit of different insight into the whole proposal and you know, kind of some of the, the dynamics here. So let's talk about NIMBYism. So I, I've spoken about this before, NIMBY not in my backyard, a phenomenon not just here in Poway, but throughout, heck, California, the United States, and it's all about people that say, hey, Development might be great, but not in my community, not in my neighborhood. I don't want more people. I don't want more traffic. I don't want more congestion. I don't want construction noise. I don't want, I don't want anything. I just want to keep the status quo. And there's a lot of people that believe that. And, you know, that sounds great, but there's, there's a lot of, I guess there's unintended consequences to NIMBYism. And you're seeing NIMBYism become more and more challenged because what, what's happening is, is that when you limit um, development in any particular area, you, especially here in San Diego or in Poway, where there's such huge demand to live here. You know, you, when you have a great deal of demand and supply of housing, in this case, supply is limited or is restricted, then you end up having higher prices. I mean, this is Econ 101, supply and demand. When demand is up and supply is limited, then prices expand. So that's why housing in Poway is so expensive, whether you're buying or whether you're renting. And, and maybe you're, you're a property owner now, and for you, you might be thinking, terrific, I want housing prices to go up. Maybe you own uh, rental properties and you want rental prices to go up. And from that perspective, I get it. But from the other perspective, if you're a buyer or if you're a renter, it's it's really expensive to live in San Diego County. It's expensive to live in Poway. And oh, by the way, here's a tangent. You know, we're talking about homelessness, and that's another hot topic very recently being talked about in Poway. In fact, there's an article about it in today's Poway Chieftain about homelessness in Poway. And that's partly, there's many reasons for homelessness, but one of them is the fact that housing is so expensive. Um, so um, when you have this sort of nimbyism, it creates... It makes, it makes housing expensive. It creates distortions in the market. And there's a lot of people that want to move here to Poway. It's a great place to raise a family. There's a lot of people that live in Poway now, have had children. The children have gone on, gone to college, left the nest, started a career, and they want to come back to Poway and raise their family, but they can't because it's so expensive. So um, this is one of my concerns with NIMBYism. It creates these distortions in the housing market. We're seeing other communities that are really trying to address this. Uh, there was a news story recently that in Minneapolis, um, they're addressing it in parts of Oregon. Oregon, amazing. They're addressing it where instead of having such strict limits and restrictions around single-family home areas, they're now allowing development of more mixed-use, more multifamily, and they're letting you know, they're basically providing more opportunity for housing to accommodate growing populations. And you know, and it's putting, it's kind of relaxing the stress on the economy in that area as well, at least in terms of housing is concerned. Um, so I, th I think that's a good thing um, as far as, you know, evolution and progress. So I'm generally, you know, I'm generally very resistant to this notion of nimbyism. But for me personally, it's even more like on a higher level than that from a moral perspective. I'm a big supporter of individual rights, and I'm a big supporter as a result of that property rights by extension. I, I think, heck, it, it, this is your life to live. And if you 
are out there working and you are spending your money on real estate and that's a that's a direct uh, result of the fruits of your own labor, that real estate that you own, you should be able to do whatever you want on it, provided that you don't violate the rights of the people around you or damage uh, the people around you. If it's your property, you should be able to build on it. So um, that's the other angle with NIMBYism. It's people that don't live on that property trying to tell others what they can and cannot do with their own property. And I, from a moral perspective, uh, that kind of rubs me the wrong way. So I, you know, I'm generally supportive of what this plan is that McNamara is proposing. I mean, heck, I was supportive of Prop A, which was Schlesinger's plan, um, you know, that was shot down by the voters 60% to 40% in November of 2017 for all these very same reasons. You know, nimbyism, property rights, um, you know, the, the, the distortions in the housing market. And so, um, and then also, you know, for the Poway Road specific plan, I, I'm a supporter of that, again, for the very same reasons. And that, that was kind of the fun conversation in the Poway, uh, South Poway Votes community on Facebook. People are asking me, hey, Riley, hey, you were supportive of um, this plan for Poway Road because you oppose nimbyism. Well, what about up in Stone Ridge? What if you want to put some commercial property up there? And, and I'm of the same opinion. You know, it's the property owner's right to do what they want to do on their own property. Um, you know, and, and McNamara, was, he kind of addressed that tangentially in his presentation. He warned people. He says, the plan that I'm presenting, I'm paraphrasing him, is what it's going to be. He goes, I'm not planning on putting a Kmart up there. Uh, I'm not planning on, you know, putting in, you know, 10-story apartment buildings. Um, it's going to be single-family homes, and the plan that I propose is what I'm going to execute, and it won't change. So, again, we'll take him on his word for that. But at any rate, it, it, it's an interesting dynamic. But the funny thing with property rights it, it, and it, the economy and the economics play a role in this too. Now, think about it this way. Um, we've got a, uh, a golf course there now. Now, dream scenario, I'm sure for just about everybody, is we could roll the clock back you know, uh, five, 10 years ago, and we've got a wonderful golf course, okay? We've got a golf course that's, that's green. People are playing on it. People are enjoying golf. Um, you got recreation in Poway. You've got open space in Poway. You've got trails. You've got families that have backyards that are backed up against the, the, uh, the golf course. So they got a beautiful view out the, uh, their back door window. Um, the birds are chirping, the sun is shining, and it's terrific. Okay, but that's, that's what we'd like it to be, but that's not what it is. The reality is, is that the golf course is shut down because the economics of golf have changed so much. I mean, again, roll the clock back 15, 20 years ago, the golf industry was booming. They were building more golf courses. There was, um, uh, you know, the, the golf manufacturing industry, which is big in San Diego County, was doing great. In fact, there's a company um, here in the Poway Business Park in the golfing industry. So they were doing great. And, and Tiger Woods was young and he was winning championships and there was just so much buzz around golf. Well, that situation has changed. Okay, so we had the Great Recession and that was a huge punch in the nose to the golfing industry. Um, Tiger Woods, his his, his problems were well chronicled, and that uh, there was a certain degree of a loss of enthusiasm in golf as a result of that. Then we had the drought. You know, pricing of water went up or water was less available. And so 
it, it became a struggle. And so what happened? Well, we saw the the Double Tree Golf Course in Rancho Penasquitos, you know, the big one across the freeway at the Carmel Mountain Ranch exit, that closed. Then Carmel Mountain Ranch's golf course closed. And we've seen other cases of golf courses around the county also close. And it's because the economics of running a golf course have changed. It's a much more difficult business. And Stone Ridge, they closed. I mean, because they were unable to be profitable. And so now you've got a situation where the the land is is zoned as open space recreational, but there's no way to really monetize that asset. So the property owner is just has they're kind of in a pickle. And so that's what we're in now is this we're in a game of chicken is essentially what this is coming down to, where who's going to blink first? Is the property owner, in this case Schlesinger, is he going to blink first and somehow unload the property? and then take a financial loss? Um, Or are the voters going to blink first and agree to change the zoning so there can be construction there? So we we saw what happened in 2017. The the voters held firm. Um, What's going to happen in 2020? I don't know. Uh, My hunch is is that the voters will probably be more receptive, uh, but are there going to be enough voters to, you know, go into the majority and win this? So we'll see. Um, but you know, when Michael Schlesinger bought this property, I think we all knew that his end game was to, uh, transform this into a residential property area because he likely saw this as an investment. Um, but it, it's tricky. This, this whole notion, and this goes back to Poway and its founding principles, you know, Poway was, um, was incorporated as a city in 1980. The founding fathers, you know, to their credit, they laid out a, a um, master plan for Poway. They believe strongly in retaining the culture of Poway, this city and the country. Um, that's terrific. And in 1988, they passed, uh, the voters passed uh, Prop FF, which makes it very difficult to change zoning laws, to change a place like this that's open space recreational, where the Stone Ridge Golf Course is, and change it to residential or to some other category. Um, And that was put in place by design to make it hard to make those changes, to to make it um, more likely that Poway is going to retain its sort of um, city in the country charm and and that character. Well, you know, now we're in 2018. So we're, what is it, doing my math in my head, 30 years further down the road from Prop FF, you know, the, the, uh, the economy is different. San Diego County has grown. Poway is vastly different. And I think it makes sense to take a healthy look and look at our master plan and say, does it still make sense? You know, does, does, the, does the vision of our founders still make sense for us today? Let's take a look at it. And maybe the answer is it does still make sense. And maybe in other categories, it means maybe we need to evolve a little bit, uh, you know, based on the current conditions. So this is all going to go to the voters. Um, but I'm, I'm, I'm of the opinion still, I'm a property rights guy. So I'm always of the opinion if the property owner wants to develop, they should be able to develop as long as they're not violating the rights of other people or damaging others around them. And so I'm hopeful that the voters will see this plan that McNamara is putting together as sort of a way out of this mess. 
Because what are we left with now? What's the alternative? We've got a golf course that's abandoned. We've got um, you know vandalism that's occurring in the clubhouse. We've got um, it's fenced off. It's not being taken care of. Their weeds are growing. The thing's gone fallow. Trees are being removed. I mean, it's just an eyesore. And I pity the people that live on the golf course. Um, so what's going to happen? We'll see. Um, but I'm hopeful that we're going to get more information from McNamara. I'm hopeful that the voters um, will, will be willing to find a way out of this pickle. And, and one way to do that is to vote for it. So, you know, I have no stake in the game here. I'm, I'm just a guy with a podcast and I'm a big individual rights guy. So I thought I'd weigh in and share my thoughts on this. Um, I will put this out, though, um, to you. Oh, actually, let's go to, to Kevin McNamara. I'm talking to you, Kevin. Uh, Kevin, if you'd like to join me for a sit-down conversation, and we'll talk about this whole project, and we'll talk about your vision, and we'll answer questions, and we'll go through it together, unedited, unscripted. We'll turn the camera on and let it roll and go as long as we need to. I'd love to have you here for a sit-down conversation. We'll do it Merv Griffin style. How's that? And uh, we'll have some fun and go through it. Um, but I'll also put this out to to anyone else. If, if you are a strong opponent of this plan, um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, I know Brian Edmonston was an opponent to um, uh, Prop A, but maybe someone else would like to come forward and offer a counter uh, point on the plan that was submitted um, last Wednesday. Uh, maybe you have some concerns or thoughts and you'd like to join me for a sit-down conversation here on the John Riley Project, I invite you. So if, if that's the case, reach out to me at johnreillyproject.com. And for any of the listeners and viewers, if you have questions that you would like me to ask any of these potential guests, I haven't booked them. I'm hopeful I can book them. Uh, but uh, if you have some questions, you know, send them my way. I'll ask those questions. Uh, to those individuals. If you want me to include your name, I, I will. If you want me to keep it uh, anonymous, I'll respect that. Um, and if and if we're not successful booking any of those guests, then I'll, I'll share the questions here in my one of my solo podcasts, and I'll go. I'll do the best I can to try to answer them, or try to get feedback from others that can answer it more appropriately. So, you know, again, I, I'm hopeful that this uh, this podcast platform is an opportunity where we can share uh, share conversations, share our thoughts create a sort of a community discussion around this topic, which is a pretty hot topic here in the city of Poway. So, um, all right, so that's pretty much it for Stone Ridge, but we got more to talk about. Let's, um, let's dig in on the Poway School Board and, and some recent developments there. And, you know, we just had the election, and uh, congratulations to Ginger Couvret, who was just elected as a new school board member, uh, also, congratulations to T.J. Zane and Michelle O'Connor Ratcliffe. They were reelected, uh, so great for them. Um, I saw on the um, you know online they they had, you know had gone before and what was it they were re-sworn in or in in Ginger's case she was sworn in for the first time. So that's a special moment. So uh, again, congrats to them. But when there is a new um, school board uh, or a new year, they always elect new officers on the school board. And this is, was a topic that was discussed uh, in an article recently in the Poway Chieftain. It might have been in the Rancho Bernardo Journal. By the way, I, n I never actually read the physical newspaper anymore. I always just go to pomeradonews.com and I get all the articles that way. I don't know if that's what you do, but that's how I do it. Um, again, a little bit of a tangent here. Pomerado News is owned by the San Diego Union Tribune. 
I used to be able to always go on their site and read the articles or sometimes right-click and go in incognito mode and read the articles. Um, and now, little by little, that's being shut down. I'm going to probably have to pay to subscribe to the Union Tribune, which is fine. Um, but I enjoy being able to get the Palmerado News stories very easily and for free. And thank you, uh, Steve Dreyer and your team. Thanks for providing that. But at any rate, there was an article um, in the Poway Chieftain, PalmeradaNews.com, about um, this this election of Darsh Patel. She became the new president of the school board. And congratulations to you, Ms. Patel. Um, you know, the, there's five people on the school board, and three of them are always elected officers. I think there's a president, a vice president, and I think it's a secretary. And um, and that position, particularly the presidential position, it does have some juice that has some power there because they have um, some control over what appears on the agenda. So um, that position had historically always kind of been in a rotation basis. It was sort of an an unwritten rule. It was it was a, it was an agreement that since it had power um, and since it wasn't elected by the people, that there was generally a rotation and. Uh, that that ended in 2014 when, after the election of um, O'Connor Ratcliffe and Zane and Sellers, um, we saw O'Connor Ratcliffe had uh, two terms consecutively, which was a surprise. Well, now um, there was an election. Darsh Patel was elected the president, and then Kimberly Beatty objected. You know, Kimberly Beatty has been on the board now for six years. Excuse me, and um, she objected. She said, "Hey, what's going on? Where's the?" Where's that rotation that we used to have? Um, and Patel, according to the article in the, in the newspaper, Patel responded and said, well, we're, you're not going to be elected president because of your ethics violations. And I thought to myself, oh, she whiz, here we go. Um, and, you know, what she's referring to was the, um, the distribution of some of the campaign literature, the negative campaign literature that Beatty was doing prior to the election. But, you know, kind of wagging a finger in front of her you know, virtually wagging a finger in front of her, uh, proclaiming ethics violations. And I'm thinking, ethics violations? This is a school board that has approved gerrymandered maps, huge deficit spending, has done no-bid contracts, and, and you're, you're taking a holier-than-thou position on ethics? Like, oh my gosh. So, I don't know, let, let's go through each of these topics and break these down, because I think they're interesting. Okay, look, first of all, the Kimberly Beatty story. Is is a good one. Uh, so, Beatty was, you know, in the in the days and weeks before the election in November 2018, she was out there with her husband um, hanging door hangers in in various neighborhoods, and the door hangers she was she was hanging were they were negative ads, they were hit pieces if you want to call that, on Zane and on O'Connor Ratcliffe, and it it showed their record, and you know. Their record, by the way, is not all you know wine and roses. I mean, there's there's a lot of there's a lot of things on Zane's record and O'Connor's Ratcliffe's record that are very worthy of criticism, and we'll talk about that. Um, but she was sharing that, but it was you know it was with a unflattering photo, a photo with a letter F, like a teacher would give on a grade and a circle around it, um, and and she was wearing a Poway Teachers Union T-shirt which is a whole other layer to this because the teacher's union has generally not been supportive of Beatty. She's never earned their endorsement. And so what had happened is, is that she was out there hanging door hangers prior to the election. 
it, um, she was at a particular home. And, you know, now people have these doorbell cameras or, you know, whenever there's a motion detector, when everyone's at their front porch, they can see it, which, by the way, is great technology, especially in these days of Amazon and everything else. Um, but she was captured on someone's video. It turned out that that was a home of a teacher. The teacher shared the video with her union. It was immediately politicized and it was in the news. And, um, you know, people were attacking Beatty because of the negative campaign ads. People were attacking her because she was wearing a teacher's union T-shirt that some people thought was deceptive. Um, and so this whole thing got spun. And you, you, again, you saw, I mean, you saw uh, TJ Zane was on the news. He was being interviewed again, holier than thou. I, oh, I can't believe they're doing this. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, TJ Zane was the king of negative campaigning um, when he was uh, running the Lincoln Club, um, uh, that that you know, political action group in, in downtown San Diego. And he is the former executive director of the San Diego Republican Party. So, I mean, I'm thinking, okay, we don't need Zane proclaiming ethics or looking, you know, looking down upon negative advertising. I mean, that's just ridiculous uh, because he's been involved in that particular campaign strategy. But um, it, uh, uh, it, it got to the point where, you know, people were almost saying, okay, they were attacking Beatty because they were saying it was an ethical violation, but it's not written anywhere that's an ethical violation. She's just spreading her, or she's just exercising her First Amendment uh, rights. And it's a negative campaign piece. Well, do we all would like to have, you know, wonderful, positive campaign literature for um, school board races? You know, we, of course, we love that, but Again, let's be real. This is a campaign. Um, this is a campaign for a, a major position that controls, you know, these five people control a budget of $400 million a year. So this is, um, this is a very serious position, and um, there's a lot of, um, you know, campaigning on both sides. Um, so people were going after her for, and it was really for political reasons. Because a lot of times she was Beatty went with sellers when the two of them, there was usually this three to two majority minority on the board. Beatty and sellers were often in the minority. So there was always a lot of friction. People were, you know, in certain teams, unions were aligning with different people on the school board. So that's why this whole thing got politicized. Um, and by the way, um, uh, Miss Beatty, I, I welcome you to join me here on the John Riley Project. We'd have a sit-down conversation, and let's talk this story out. I think this would be interesting for the viewers and listeners here in the Poway Unified School District area to hear the whole story, not just on this campaign literature issue that was in the news a few months ago, but also on your six-year tenure on the school board. I mean, you've been there um, you know, through the John Collins era and, and you've, the aftermath of the billion-dollar bond, so you've seen a lot. Uh, you, I think it would be a very interesting conversation. So I put that out there to you. You're welcome to join me um, here on the John Riley Project. Um, but it's, it's, it was really crazy to me that, you know, Patel was, was taking this high road on ethics, which, again, sounds good. But this, you talk about ethics, the, the, this, this school board just gerrymandered the maps. And I, let, me, let me go over this one again, because this is a big topic. So roll the clock back. Um, you know, 2014, 2016 elections, the, the school board um, races were, were district-wide. Uh, and so then there were pressure from 
uh, voting rights groups that they had to partition the, the school district into smaller zones or smaller sub-districts and have uh, more localized elections. And you know we saw that same thing with the Poway City Council races as well. And they, they drew up districts. So the question is always, when, when this happens, who gets to decide where the lines are? Well, it always comes down to the politicians that are approving it. And so now here we get into the notion of gerrymandering. Are politicians choosing the voters or are voters choosing the politicians? And if politicians can choose where they draw those lines can make big differences in their ability to win re-election. And so immediately everyone was radar up, you know, when the school board was deciding upon where to draw the lines. Now, prior to the November 2018 election, um, this is before Ginger Couvret was elected, and at the time, Charles Sellers was on the school board. So there was Zane, Sellers, O'Connor Ratcliffe, Patel, and Beatty. Those were the five. And four of those five lived in Rancho Penasquitos, Zane, O'Connor Radcliffe, Sellers, and Patel. In fact, if you were to take a pin and put it on a map and draw a one-mile radius around it, so you had a circle with roughly a two-mile diameter— those four people lived either right in that circle or right on the edge of that circle. Uh, so you have basically four of the five living within a one-mile radius. Meanwhile, the school district itself is enormous. It's 10 miles by 10 miles. It's 100 square miles. But four of the five people live in a one-mile radius. So immediately, I was, we were all thinking, how are they going to draw the lines? How are they going to do this in a way that is transparent that is open, but still doesn't look biased, that still doesn't look like they're trying to rig the game. And what did they do? They drew that one-mile radius into three separate districts. And so O'Connor Ratcliffe had her own district, Darsh Patel has her own district, and then Zane and Sellers were put together in another district. And O'Connor Ratcliffe and Patel only live a few blocks apart. And they were able to figure out a way to draw the line between their two houses. So again, here, here we've got um, someone wagging their finger at Beatty about ethics. And I'm thinking, you guys gerrymandered the maps and you're calling out ethics? Are you serious? And so, you know, what happened in the 2018 election just recently, O'Connor Ratcliffe won in a landslide, as you would expect, because incumbents have a huge advantage. Um, Darsh Patel is not, her position doesn't come up till 2020. She should win handily, unless there's a strong challenger that comes forth. But incumbents usually win. And then in the other district, you know, you had Zane and Sellers facing off. I think we all knew Zane was going to be at a huge advantage. The district was carved up to be plus 11% Republican. We all know that Zane was the former executive director of the San Diego Republican Party. But Zane has huge financial resources from his donor base. Um, he is well-connected, he's got great resources, and he knows how to play the game. Sellers, on the other hand, had minimal resources, um, not as much of a political animal as Zane. You knew Sellers would be at a distinct disadvantage. That's how it played out. Zane won, O'Connor Ratcliffe won, Patel didn't run, she'll run again in 2020. Most likely she'll be at a distinct advantage because they didn't have to face off against each other because the districts were gerrymandered. Ethics? Oh, my God. Okay, so then there's the deficit spending. And I've talked about this before, where, you know, we know that there was the billion-dollar bond, there was the John Collins scandal, you know, he was 
you know, held guilty in a court of law. He stole money that was supposed to go to education. You know, this all happened. Um, you know, these violations of billion dollar bond all happened before Patel. Okay, but um, you would hope that the school district, after all of that financial irresponsibility and legitimate violation of ethics, would swing the pendulum all the way over to the other side and really try to build trust and be transparent and show fiscal responsibility and balance budgets. But they're not doing that. What they did instead is they had deficit spending um, in the prior years. Um, you know, they were warned. I was on the, uh, the Budget Review Advisory Committee for Poway Unified. We warned the school board, you have a structural deficit. Your, your recurring expenses exceed your recurring revenues. Don't spend more money on anything. In fact, look for ways to cut spending. And what did they do? They gave raises to all of the, the school employees uh, in order to gain political favor, to gain their endorsements so they could win re-election. And then now we're in the current fiscal year. It was originally forecasted to be a small surplus. Then the revenue forecast changed. Now it's going to be a deficit. Future years are looking like significant deficits. They've got a lot of work to trim that budget. But as long as we have deficits, that means our reserves keep going down. We're starting to hear some chirping from people in the, uh, that are advocates of the teacher community that maybe we need a parcel tax, that maybe everybody in Poway Unify needs to pay more money to make sure that uh, that the school district doesn't, you know, completely deplete all of their reserves because the school board can't manage their affairs properly. They want to take more money from taxpayers. So again, I'm concerned about this. Again, you're talking to me about ethics, and we're we're fiscally we're seeing fiscally irresponsible policies, deficit spending. Um, so, th- and then there's the no big contracts, which we've talked about as well, where. Um, the, there were contracts awarded to, um, you know, to companies to provide um, a new turf at the Westview football uh, stadium, as well as the running track at Poway, Unif- Poway High School. And those investments very well may be necessary, but you would still hope that they would go out to a public bid, to an RFP process, and have an open, transparent process so that taxpayers can ensure they're getting the best value. Um, but instead, it wasn't done that way. It was it went to a single source vendor. It was not put out to competitive bid. It wasn't even voted on by the school board. It was just rubber stamped and consent calendar. And you're thinking, you know, there may there might be a reason to give a single source bid to a certain vendor. There might be rationale for it. But you need to be public about it because if you don't address it, it creates this sort of backroom kind of uh, cronyism suspicion. And with all of the history of the billion-dollar bond and John Collins, and and we can go down that list of our history, we need to swing the pendulum the other way to build trust. So again, when um, Darsh Patel is wagging her finger at Kimberly Beatty saying, you committed an ethics violation, I'm thinking, wait a minute, what about all the things that you have done as part of the 3-2 majority to approve all of these things? So unbelievable. So Poway School Board is a never-ending source of controversy. Now, full disclosure, I ran for school board in 2014. I came up short. I lost by 1%. Not that I'm bitter or anything, but I enjoy following it. Um, I 
when I ran in 2014, it was a great experience. Um, I met a lot of great people. I had a fun time. I learned a lot. I was able to share a lot of my thoughts. Um, but uh, uh, I still enjoy being involved. And this podcast now is just another way for me to be involved. And now I'm just sharing my thoughts and opinions with y'all. And and um, and again, I invite feedback, response, conversation, because that's what this is about. Um, what else do we want to talk about? Uh, oh, yeah, here's another thing. This is also worth mentioning. Um, in the article um, in the Poway Chieftain, there was a quote from a community member. And the community member said, the board needs to be proactive in limiting her ability to cause harm. And I'm thinking, well, her ability, she's, she's talking about Beatty, you know, limiting Kimberly Beatty's ability to do harm. And I'm thinking, she's just expressing her free speech rights. She's handing out flyers, okay? If you want to talk about harm, harm is gerrymandering, giant deficit spending. Harm is... Uh, is no big contracts. And if you want to roll the clock back further, harm is embezzlement. Harm is billion-dollar bonds. That's the harm, okay? So passing out a flyer, please, okay? That's just First Amendment. You don't like what she says. I get that, okay? We can debate the content of what she's sharing, but it's First Amendment. Um, so we're sorry people's feelings are being hurt by this. Uh, what else? Um Charles Sellers. Let's talk about him for a minute. Um, Charles, um, you know, of course, lost the election to T.J. Zane, and he gave a concession speech. I saw parts of it on on social media. I think Gabby Dow um, tweeted it. And, uh, you know, tip of the hat to Charles. You know, I got to know Charles in the 2014 race. Um, you know, Charles was a guest here on the on the John Riley Project. We had a great podcast conversation. That's still, you know, all my past episodes are available um, on all the uh, social media or on all the podcast platforms, but also all the videos still there on YouTube. And you want to check out a fascinating discussion. Sellers laid it all on the line. I mean, he was very blunt. Um, you know, and Charles can be kind of abrasive and coarse at times, um, and, but he's brave and you may not always agree with him, uh, but I, I appreciated the bluntness. But anyways, uh, Charles offered his concession speech. He came up short to TJ Zane. Um, so, you know, Charles, Hey, thanks for what you did. Um, you know, Charles was trying to toe the line on fiscal responsibility. That's another interesting thing about him. He's a Democrat and he wears a Democrat, uh, you know, proudly on his sleeve. You'd think that he would be tightly aligned with the unions and in particular the teachers union, but he's not largely because he's an accountant, he's a CPA. So he has a great, uh, degree of fiscal prudence, fiscal responsibility, he voted against the raises for the teachers and for the, um, the school employees unions because the school district was in deficit. And he got a lot of heat for that. The Democrats labeled him anti-labor. Um, heck, he voted against a raise for his own wife because his wife is, a, is a, an assistant in one of the libraries in one of the schools. And uh, because he voted against it because the school district was in a deficit. Um, so... Interesting dynamic. So, uh, anyways, Charles Sellers, um, you know, he can be a bit like a bull in a china shop, but uh, um, I was proud of some of the things that he did. I think he stood up uh, for righteous principles in some cases. I know there were things that he said that he'd like to take back. Um, he and I uh, don't agree on a lot of things, um, especially on a national level, but there were certain areas where Charles and I 
particularly on things like balanced budgets and transparency, um, those sorts of things, we are very much aligned um, as it pertained to the school board. So at any rate, uh, kudos to you, Charles. Good luck to you in your future. Um, okay, that's enough of the school board. I, there's going to be more. You know it. Uh, with Poway Unified, there's always something. Uh, so count on it. There'll be more coming. Um, let's talk a little bit about Patreon. I don't know if you're familiar with Patreon. It's a it's a, um, a technology platform that's out there that uh, you see a lot of artists, musicians, um, podcasters. They use this as a way to generate revenue for their organizations. So, um, you know, people can be patrons, you know, not unlike, um, I guess, wealthy people used to uh, be patrons for Michelangelo and, and Da Vinci and, and all the, um, you know, the artists back in the day. Um, this is a kind of a 21st century version of that where people can go on to Patreon and can make donations to financially contribute to people that generally don't generate revenue from traditional resources or traditional means. Um, and so this has been used widely in the podcast community. In fact, I set up my own Patreon page a couple of months ago. and um, But there's been a big piece of news in this space. There's, there's a guy that... Um, just got his account revoked from Patreon, and he's a pretty popular guy. His name's Gad Saad. He's a he's a um, psychologist, a scientist. Um, he might be a professor. I can't remember. I know he's a big advocate for free speech. So you he, you see him a lot on social media, and he's a he's a guest on other people's podcasts. He's been a guest on the Rubin Report. Rubin Report, by the way, is a great podcast in, in many ways. I'm largely modeling the John Riley project off of, off of aspects of the Rubin report. Um, but anyways, he got his account revoked because he had, he had said some things on a different platform, not on Patreon. I don't even know what platform it was on. I don't know if it was Twitter or Instagram, but he had said some things there that the people at Patreon found objectionable and the people at, pa- at Patreon revoked his account. Now we know that Patreon is a, privately held company, they can do what they want. I mean, that's it's theirs to, to manage as they see fit. Um, a lot of people were upset because not only was he saying things on this other platform that many people didn't find to be offensive, especially the way he was explaining it, but more importantly, there was no, you know, there was no recourse, there was no warning. And so there's been a lot of reaction. People are up in arms about First Amendment, but this really isn't a First Amendment issue. Uh, First Amendment is about preventing the government from abridging speech. This is a private company. You know, they can certainly police their own content. But it's creating—there's always been this fear of other people maybe losing their accounts. And so we discovered that um, two other popular podcasters, uh, Jordan Peterson, who's a pretty popular guy out there these days, and then um, Dave Rubin, who I just talked about with the Rubin Report, they're working together on a competitive platform to go up against Patreon. And, and they're, what they're trying to do, obviously, is to control their own destiny. Um, Dave Rubin said in one video that about 65% of his revenue comes from Patreon, so they can't be at risk to lose that. So that's why they're creating their own competitive platform, which I think is great. It's you know This is the free market at work. So um, who else? Like Sam Harris is another big... Um, podcaster. You see him, he's part of the, what they call this intellectual dark web movement. And Sam Harris, um, he he shut down his account on Patreon in protest, um, not because he supported Gad Saad or what Gad Saad was saying. 
He just supported his right to say these things, and he was objecting to Patreon shutting him down. So, you know, again, we're seeing a lot of this in social media where certain people are having their accounts shut down, maybe because of for political correctness reasons. In other cases, it's because of hate speech reasons. Um, and I think I'm keeping an eye on this whole dynamic because it's evolving. I think I think we're f- trying to all figure out what the rules of the road should be for this sort of thing to make sure that, you know, you know, bigoted a-holes are not spewing junk on these on these platforms, but still there is a certain sense of openness and a certain sense of, you know, tolerance to a degree. But, you know, and then people believe in the concept and spirit of free speech and ideally would love to see that supported on private platforms as well. How is that all going to be managed? So we're evolving. And I think this is fascinating. I'm a big, big advocate of free speech, but I also already said I'm a big advocate of property rights. So, you know, I don't object to Patreon necessarily managing their own property, um, but let's again see how this plays out. Okay, what else? Uh, let's talk about something a little more fun, a little lighter. Um, what are you watching? Um, you know, I've talked about this in the past, like as far as I enjoy streaming content on Amazon, on Netflix, on YouTube. And in fact, if you go on my journal at johnreillyproject.com, I talk about how I got this podcast started. And part of it was the fact that I never seem to watch regular TV anymore. I'm either streaming on Netflix or I'm consuming podcasts or I'm watching sports like I've always done. Um, but, uh, I always like talking about what I'm, what I'm streaming. And so, um, I had recently completed the first three seasons of the man in the high castle, which is a great show on Amazon prime. It's about this fictional or fictional ending of, uh, world war II, where the United States loses, Japan takes over the Western States, the Germans take over the Eastern Southern and Midwestern States. There's like some, you know, um, neutral zones, um, and they carve up the whole world this way. It's it's a great, great show. So I, I highly recommend that. And I went through three seasons of that, and now I guess I'm waiting on season four, which will come out later this year, later next year, in 2019. Um, so I'm trying to figure out what am I going to watch next. So I had largely gone through a lot of the good shows on Netflix, at least the ones I consider to be good. And so now I've been dipping my toe in the Amazon Prime area and... Um, and so I've been watching the show Veep. I don't know if you've ever seen that. That's stars Julia Louis-Dreyfus. You know, she played Elaine on Seinfeld. She's the vice president of the United States. It's a comedy. It's, it's kind of that awkward um, kind of, I don't know how you explain it, but it's like The Office or Parks and Rec. You know, it's like those shows in terms of the, the um, production style to it. And so that's a good show. I'm enjoying it. I'm still kind of warming up to it, but I'm giving that every chance because I know it's won a lot of awards. So I assume... Other people like it. It must be good, and I'm giving it a chance. And so far, I like it, uh, but it's still growing on me to a degree. Um, I'm also really liking um, Westworld, and I know that show's been out for a while, but I'm finally watching it now. It's um, you know virtual amusement park. There's artificial intelligence, uh, but it it's you know takes place in this sort of you know 19th century you know Civil War era. Um, but in the Western United States, it looks like it's probably somewhere in Utah or Arizona, uh, at least as far as the, the, um, the landscape is on that show. And it's cool. The, I, I, I'm a big fan of Westerns. I've always liked Westerns. And 
So this is this is sci-fi. This is AI. This is Western. And heck, Ed Harris is on this uh, program. And then what's the guy's name? He was in um, Silence of the Lambs, a really famous actor. And his name is escaping me. He's in this show. So I'm enjoying that. Um, and and I'll just throw this one out there. Another Western that I really like that I'd encourage you to check out is called Hell on Wheels. And um, there you'll see it on Netflix. It was also on AMC. Uh, so you can go to amctv.com and watch those shows. That's a great one about the building of the Transcontinental Railroad. And it's right after the Civil War. And so you've got former slaves and former soldiers working side by side. You've got the Chinese immigrants building the railroad from the Western, you know, from the Pacific. Uh, that's a neat, neat show. So I love that one. Uh, I watched that one a number of years ago. Um, but, you know, the other thing I want to say, I'll admit this. I'm I'm still, you know, I'm on that Amazon Prime dashboard and I see that one show and it's looming and I got sucked in again, but I love it. That's Game of Thrones. I'm a big, big Game of Thrones guy. I've watched the first two, uh, excuse me, I've watched the the full series, seasons one through seven, twice. I've gone through it twice and loved every minute of it. And I know season eight of Game of Thrones is coming out, I think, in April. And I had already planned on re-watching, um, you know, from season one all the way through season seven. And uh, and I saw it looming there, and I, and I said, oh, what the hell, I'm going for it. So now I'm in the middle of season—well, actually, I'm right near the end of season two, um, when Stannis Baratheon and his fleet come into King's Landing, and then— uh, Tyrion Lannister has the um, what do they call that? Uh, the dragon fire, that that green substance, and and that's a really neat scene. Oh, those are great scenes as well. So that's where I am watching Game of Thrones, and I'm on my third time through, and really looking forward to it. So that's a lot of fun. So what else? Um, you know, I've uh, I've been I've been working on the podcast studio. You can see some things are different here. I've been playing around with green screen. That's part of the fun of this. Um, that's why I call it the John Riley Project. I'm not just sharing my thoughts and on things and interacting with the community, but I'm learning about podcasting. I'm learning about this technology. I'm experimenting with the technology, and I'm having fun learning. So now I'm experimenting with this green screen, and I'll, you'll probably see this evolve a number of ways. Um, and I've also I've talked about this before for my sit-down podcast. I'm looking at it. You can't see it. It's on the other side of the camera. I've got now like two sort of talk show chairs set up. So when we do our interview podcast, it's going to look different than rather than, you know, working over the, this desk or this wooden table like we did before with the political candidates. So I'm having fun with that, but I've, I've built this backlog of content that I want to talk about. So I've actually mapped out um, three different podcasts. So this is the first one. And you know, once I get this, you know, tightened up and uploaded and produced, then I'm going to crank out the next couple of them. So this is episode 24. I've already built an outline for episodes 25 and 26. So I'm going to try to crank those out. Um, I know we've got to get Pete Neeld in here. Um, he wants to talk about um, Corvettes and his process in buying Calypso. And I know there's a lot of people that love Corvettes or cars in general, and we're going to dig in on that. That'll be a fun discussion topic. Um, so you know, we're going to be covering a lot of things. I, I Basically, I'm just talking about stuff I like talking about. So 
We're going to talk about sports. We're going to talk about politics. We're going to talk about local and national politics. We're going to talk about business and entrepreneurship. We're going to talk about art. You know, um, I'm not a, I'm a car guy in a way. I'm not, I used to love Corvettes. And that was always that, that when I was a kid, it was always the dream car. It was a Corvette. And now I'm into electric vehicles, but I still have a soft spot in my heart for Corvettes. So when Pete Neal is here, he wants to talk about vets. I'm all ears. I want to hear about this. So we'll talk about that. Um, I've got some other guests that, that I've reached out to that are authors, public speakers, columnists, um, coaches, athletes that all want to be part of the John Riley Project. I was trying to get some of this technology organized and work some bugs out in my system before I really started bringing them in. So I'm going to really start working on that. And I'm hopeful there's going to be a consistent amount of content that we'll be able to put out in both these kinds of solo podcasts, but also the interview podcasts. And then, um, and then I'm going to be putting out some more stuff on social media. So I'm going to have some fun with this. Uh, and I hope you enjoy the ride with me. I think it'll be kind of cool. And so what else? It's December 20th. This is episode 24. You know, thanks for watching. Have a great holiday holiday season. And we just talked about Elaine from Seinfeld. So we got to say, happy Festivus. A Festivus for the rest of us. We're going to have, uh, we're going to do the feats of strength. We're going to do the airing of grievances. We've got a Christmas poll. We don't put tinsel on it. It's too distracting. Uh, but we're going to have fun with that. So um, anyways, happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Kwanzaa. Happy Festivus. Happy what week 16 of the nfl um whatever it is that, that floats your boat have a great day and i'll be back adios friends everybody.